Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for uh, this evening. I thank you for these men and women and for journeying in the book of Revelation tonight and starting this brand new series And we're just so glad, Lord, that we get to study your word, that we can find answers in your word, and that your word guides us. And it doesn't leave us alone, and it will leave us without any hope. We have direction. And we even get to see a sneak peek into what heaven looks like. And we get to see that tonight in our text. And so it's just a a special honor. And we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This new series is called Heavenly Praise. And we are looking at praise time in heaven. And it's, the book of Revelation is is very easy to study in that it is a very straightforward book. It's just, you can tell who's, it's just straightforward, boom, 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 boom. It just kind of, the the narrative flows, but it also is a very difficult book in that it, there's, there's symbols and there's signs and there's interpretation issues. And a lot of people just completely set their theologies and their isms and their ologies all about this book. And we just, we forget that it was written to churches and that it was written to uh, people who were, it was not written to confuse anybody. It was written to churches to understand it. And so it's the great book of the Bible to really take things first at face value. Like what in the world would they have understood this to be? And so we're not going to go through the whole book, but what we are going to take in a short series, a really cool way to study the book is looking at the hymns, just times of worship. And so we're going to start that. We're going to have a few sessions with just the hymns and it's going to lead us to our fall series. So we're in revelation five and in Revelation 5, we're, we're before the throne room of God. We're kind of, you're, you're going to see as we're there, John is on the island of Patmos. This is the disciple that Jesus loved, you know, the John. Um, he is, you know, one of the apostles and the gospel writer, the epistles writer. Revelation is an epistle and that is a letter. It was a letter that was circulated through seven churches on a little track. It's like this kind of up Asia Minor. And they could just keep delivering from one to the other. And so we have a, a letter here that John was caught up in a vision. And in that vision, he is before, uh, we'll, we'll see where we're going to be at tonight. We're in Revelation 5. And, and he's caught up in this vision before, before heaven. He's up there in God's throne room. We haven't seen anything like this since Isaiah chapter six because then isaiah was caught up you know the famous holy 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 chapter and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory you know that was right before god's throne so we're right back there here we are so verses one to five the question is who is worthy then i saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne see john john's a little cagey there he doesn't quite say this is god the father He doesn't say, this is Yahweh himself, okay? He kind of uses metaphors here. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on the earth or even under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And John says, so I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or even look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So we've got this, we've got this moment where God has a scroll. And be kind of like, think of it like a big book or think of it like a, any of you who have bought a house, you know, you show up to the closing meeting and you're signing like, you know, page after page after page after page after page, a gigantic document, like a deed or a contract. And that's what we got here. That's what people did. They, 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 they had these scrolls, the contracts. And so a great legal document. And this is God's legal document. So we're wondering, what is this scroll? So I got a little historical note here. Legal documents were sealed often with seven seals imprinted with the markings of seven witnesses. This form was used for contract deeds and for wills. Scrolls were normally written on one side, but this scroll is particularly full and so is written on both sides. Look, the double-sided piece of paper thing here. So what's this scroll? There's all kinds of answers of what could this could be. The easiest answer, the most face value answer is that this is some kind of a legal thing between God and the rest of humanity, that God is wanting it opened. You can't read a will till you open the will, okay? This is like a will. This is like God's will, as it were, unfolding. This is God's plan. This is how God is gonna end history. Because here we are in a great apocalyptic book, literally called the apocalypse. Here it is, God's plan unfolding. But you see, God's not going to open it, is he? We see something like this in the book of Ezekiel as well. I believe there he called for an angel to open it. Well, here God's saying, who, who, who can open this? Who actually can open this scroll? How are we going to see God's will unfold throughout the rest of human history? So there's a search. They looked in heaven. Think of the mightiest of angels lining up. None of those guys were worthy. They looked on the earth. Okay, nobody down there, doesn't matter how rich and powerful or awesome and majestic you are. They even looked under the earth. What in the world is that supposed to mean? Well, who's, who, who is on the table at that point? The dead. Who is dead? Now you bring up big, big wigs like a Moses, like an Elijah, like an Abraham, dare I say a David, any of these guys who have already died in Christ or in God, ready for eternity, they're on the table. Are any of them worthy? No, nobody's worthy. So John's freaked out. He's like, I'm seeing this vision. 
and I'm seeing God's will needing to unfold, but nobody can open this. Is there nobody that can open this? And John is weeping. He doesn't know how history is going to unfold. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He has no idea. Is history just going to end because nobody's worthy? From a theological standpoint, we understand that. If someone says, why do bad things happen to good people? We might answer, as I think R.C. Sproul did once, it did once, but he chose it. He, he, he volunteered, I think R.C. Sproul said. The only good person ever was Jesus, and he volunteered for the bad that was done to him. Nobody is worthy. Doesn't matter how good you are, we are all toast. We cannot, no one can be found worthy to open this scroll. So there's a proclamation. The proclamation is behold. And, and he uses these, these two um, kind of Old Testament messianic things. One comes from, I believe, Genesis 49, um, this lion of the tribe of Judah, and uh, the, the root of David, a son of Jesse. And so one of David's sons, we heard of him as a son of David in the Gospels. He has triumphed. He's had victory. And because of that victory, he is able to open the scroll, and he is able to open the seven seals. So we have the victory of Jesus. Yeah, well, we'll get we'll get to the number seven in the next section here, but you're right. Um, yeah, that's who 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 is who is worthy here? Why is he worthy? Because of his victory. How did Jesus have victory? How did Jesus have victory? He conquered sin, he conquered the grave. On the cross, he reconciled a sinful man with a holy God. He accomplished God's plan of salvation. He literally humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the victory of Jesus. See, the Lion of Judah has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. You see, that's the great Christian paradox. What do we do with that? What's the, what's the great Christian paradox? The great Christian paradox is someone dying on the cross is victory. A moment where Satan might have said, finally, I got him, he's dead. That ended up being the final nail in Satan's coffin. It's the same idea in 2 Corinthians, for when I am weak, then he is strong. The great Christian paradox is, in and through Christ, weakness is strength. Sacrifice is victory. Self-denial, or as Jesus would put it, to lose, your, to lose yourself is to really find yourself. The great Christian paradox is that Jesus died, but in that death, victory was accomplished. He is worthy. So who is worthy? Who is worthy? Yeah, Mick texted in, he lived a life that no one, not angels or anyone else could have ever lived perfectly and sinless. Even heavenly beings outside of God were incapable to do what Jesus did. If anyone wants proof of that, all, all one has to do is notice 
how Satan and angels sin. Yeah, you know what? I would imagine Satan's on the table here too. I mean, you're looking at anybody and all of creation. Is there anyone worthy? Is there a demon out there that's worthy? How about Mr. Pride himself, Satan? Is he worthy? Can he open up the scroll? Who do we have that can do it? Is there anybody that can possibly open this scroll? Yeah, Satan, I mean, you'd have to imagine he'd have to be on the table. I don't know if he's here. The text doesn't say. But no one could. No one could. Any created being, no one could. So we got to continue. The question is who is worthy? Well, six to eight answers it. Then I saw a lamb. Now, for those of you going, oh, this gets really bloody really quick. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Okay, so that now reminds us of a Passover lamb. You know, the, the, the Passover regulations, you brought little Baba into the house and the kids got to play with him, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, when you celebrated the Passover, you had to kill that lamb and you had to eat that lamb. This is a lamb looking as if it has been slain. I don't know what to do with that. I like science fiction. Is this like a zombie? I mean, he's, he's, this is a slain lamb that's going to start walking around, standing at the center of the throne and circled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which it translates the seven spirits of God, but it also translates the sevenfold spirit of God. And I like that better. That's a better translation. So we're dealing with the Holy Spirit here. Sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So this is going to remind us of Daniel chapter 7, where this son of man character is able to interact with the ancient of days. Here the ancient of days, Yahweh, Jehovah himself, is on the throne. But guess who's also on the throne? The lamb. The lamb walks right up to Yahweh. He seizes the scroll. And just like the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7 didn't look at, at, at the Son of Man receiving worship and praise and go, whoa, no, 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 I'm God and you're not. What's this? No, the Son of, the Son of Man received an everlasting dominion from the Ancient of Days. Here we have the Lamb who has been slain, looking as if he'd been slain. He, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. You would do that if you were worshiping him. The lamb is worthy. Mick asked me to talk about the, the number seven and... Um, yeah, before I get, yeah, yeah, typically the throat would be slit. It's not too far off to assume this is the seemingly fatal injury John is describing. Yeah, he's the lamb has been slain. But we've got to remember, this is the Christian paradox. The lamb who was slain is a victorious lion. The last thing you would think of a lamb that's been slaughtered, you wouldn't look at that and go, wow, that's powerful. Wow, what a conquering image. Wow, look at that. That thing is going to rule the world. 
Now, you want to go talk to a lion? That's a different struggle. That's a different issue. That lion's not going to take your garbage, but a slain little lamb? That's the Christian paradox all over again. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist once said, here he is, dying, slain, the Lamb who was slain. But that slain Lamb is a lion. Take that as an image. Horns in the ancient world, this is a little historical note here, they spoke of power and they spoke of strength. The number seven in Revelation was a number that pictured perfection. It was one of God's perfect numbers. You'll see seven in the very first chapter of the Bible. God did not create eight days. He created seven days. That was God's perfect plan. Seven is the original of God's numbers. And so in the book of Revelation, seven it has a perfect or complete, another perfect or complete number for God to be 10. You have 10 commandments um, and, or 12. You've got, um, you've got 12 disciples. You've got 12 apostles. Uh, 12, 12 is another one of those complete numbers for God. But in Revelation, seven is big. Okay, so here we have, uh, so in this image, we have horns, which kind of symbolize omnipotence or power. And we have eyes which seven horns and seven eyes. And this eye, these eyes, are they, they, they have omniscience, kind of like you can see. And this, he's not just this lamb, he's like a warrior lamb. And the eyes are the, the sevenfold spirit of God. So there's, there's some symbols going on here. But we do have around this throne, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, don't we? And just like an axe, the Father and the Son sent out the Spirit here we have the Father and the Son with the sevenfold Spirit of God going out into the world yet again. That's right. God and the exalted Jesus pour out the promised Holy Spirit. So what is this lamb about? And what does he do? Well, if you say that the lamb is not God, you have some explaining to do. He's standing on God's throne. He's approaching God like God. He's worthy to open the scroll. He has complete and perfect power, complete and perfect omniscience, all-knowing. This is not the Jesus that walked this earth. This is the risen and exalted Lord Jesus. He didn't have the limitations that Philippians chapter 2 described. This is not Jesus that has the limitations of a man anymore. He's risen and exalted to heaven, Lord Jesus. The one who once for all accomplished what he accomplished and then sat down. That Jesus. What is he about? He sees that scroll. You see, this is a transfer of authority. Just like with the Ancient of Days and the, and the Son of Man, it is the Lamb in the rest of the book of Revelation that is going to administer the kingdom. 
how the plan is going to unfold. It is because of Jesus's victory that salvation history finalizes in a full and final way as we continue, as our, we live the rest of our lives in the name of Jesus. And, you know, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified for Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That idea, and we're living this life to, to, to be more like Jesus and less like the former us. It's like God's plan is going to unfold in heaven, and it's because of Jesus and his victory. And God is just transferring the power here. It's like, you know what? This is, he's going to unfold this now. What does he do? He sees the scroll. And when he had taken it, everybody bowed. The ones who were closest to the throne, they got on their face in worship, in submission. All of that leads up. We have the cross and the unfolding of God's further plan. That's right. God's plan unfolds because of the cross. God accomplished salvation. And now the dwelling place, once again, like the Garden of Eden, can be with God and man. That's at the end of Revelation. We're pointing towards that. Well, gosh, Joel, we were thought we were going to talk about a hymn. That's the context for this hymn. The big question of this chapter is, who is worthy? The answer is given. The Lamb is worthy. So now the rest of the chapter is responding in praise. 9 to 14. And we have here, the elders and creatures are going to have, a, have an opening worship. You've got these countless angels of heaven that are going to worship. You have everybody everywhere is going to join in, and the elders and creatures are going to close it out. Here we go, 9 to 14. And they sing a new song. We pay attention when we hear that. This is a song that has a chord progression you never heard before. This is a song that is communicating brand new material. It's good stuff. Saying, you are worthy. And they're talking to the lamb. You are worthy. And they're, they're, we're assuming they're on their, they had a harp and they had, um, oh, excuse me, let's just finish that line here. And when they had taken the four living creatures, the four, 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Now don't get literal there because just remember in the Greek language that John was able to use 10,000 was his biggest number. He didn't have Google or million or what. He had, no, he had none of that. So 10,000 times 10,000 was literally the largest number the Greek language allowed him to write. So he's not talking about 10,000 times 10,000. He's talking about this unimaginable number of, of angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and, and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. 
the four living creatures said, amen. And they fell down and worshiped. Heavenly. Mic drop. We get a praise song for this. Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon it continues be to our God forever and ever amen the strength and glory wisdom and strength honor and power and praise right from this text it's a great praise song a modern you know it's a little old now it's kind of like when I was getting started in ministry you know 15 20 years ago that was kind of coming around but there it is Respond in praise. Historical note here, the lamb is now worthy, is now worthy to receive a sevenfold praise. The worship of God is now extended to Christ. So anyone who says, well, Jesus is not God, they got to read Revelation 5. Because the only argument you could make is that the lamb is not Jesus. Because this lamb is being worshiped like he's God. And no one's saying anything about it. The one who's on the throne is not going, hey, stop that now. He's not God. What are you doing here? No. He's saying, here you go. Here you go. Jesus Christ is God. The seven can be further divided. Four of these sevenfold praise celebrate attributes of Christ, power, wealth, wisdom, strength, and the other three celebrate worship due to him as a result, honor, glory, praise. Perfect worship. Celebrating seven things of Christ. Mick texted me. Sorry, I, I did miss a couple texts. Sorry, they kind of scrolled down. I love how when Jesus read the scroll in Luke in 419, Jesus stopped reading with just the proclamation of the favorable year of the Lord, the lamb, and not the day of vengeance of God, the lion. Yeah, well, here he's the lamb. So basically infinity, you're right. And, and we have that infinity, by the way, that, that it's I mean, when, when Jesus calls himself, or even when Yahweh calls himself the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, Alpha being the first letter of the Greek alphabet, Omega being the last letter. So he's the God of the A and the God of the Z. So between the B and the Y, he's, he's also God. And we trust him. So the elders and creatures, they sang a new song, and it's great. Look at, look at, what, they, look at what they said Jesus did. You are worthy to take the scroll, open its seals, because you were slain. Now, if we stop there, you're going, What? It's like he died, and that makes him worthy? Um, I don't understand that. But it's not just he was slain. His being slain produced blood. And by that blood, whether it's a symbolic thing here or literal, it's fine. By your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Wow. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. They will reign on the earth. Wow. The death of the Son of God accomplished everything, didn't it? He is worthy. And then it goes next to these countless angels. 10,000 upon 10,000. They're not singing now. They're just shouting. It's like a, like a, a word of, of, of a spoken word. You might hear that in a worship service. People just speaking like a poem or something. Or you know what? This might be a rap. 
They're saying it in a loud voice. Maybe it's rhythmic. I don't know. Here it is. Maybe it's some kind of antiphonal praise. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Well, that's another praise song. Worthy the lamb who was slain. Remember that one? Is that, is that an old hymn? There it is. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and honor and glory and praise. Okay, so the worship continues. It goes from the closest to the throne to the ones, the myriad of angels, literally the myriad of angels surrounding the throne. The uncounted number, that worship service right there, that the shepherds on the hillside got just a drop in the bucket of that when Jesus was born. Remember the heavenly host and they filled the sky and here it is. They got just a taste of that. Now, surrounding heaven, uncounted numbers. And then now it gets really cool. It continues. And then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, all that is in them saying, so everyone everywhere. Who does this include? Demons, the dead, under the earth, the realm of the dead, Sheol itself, death and Hades, Everyone alive, everyone who ever has existed, whether they're still alive or they're dead, every angel, well, every angel is already accounted for, but who else? Everyone, everywhere, from all time. Everyone, I mean, who else has lived here? Uh, in heaven, okay, so whoever else is in heaven, not singing, they're singing now. On the earth, okay, who's still alive, on the earth, walking around, okay. Under the earth, that's in the grave, so all the dead. So Moses and Ruth and all those guys, they're all singing. They're taking their turn here. And on the sea, okay, so all the animals, I mean, they're having added here. And all that is in them. You know, we like to say the people who crashed the towers into the World Trade Center, and they all died that night. They met, they met King Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, the goal of history is that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is curious, is Lord, is Yahweh, is God himself. We're seeing that unfold in Revelation 5, where the lamb who's not Yahweh is able to walk to Yahweh, take the scroll from Yahweh, and receive Divine worship as if he is Yahweh. So when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, we're seeing it cosmically unfold right here. That's what's happening in heaven. A worship service we can't possibly imagine. At this point in the worship service, even demons are singing praise. Everyone is praising. To him who sits on the throne, and to the lamb. The demons know what, what side of the, of the bread, their bread is buttered. Oh, they know it. They know who Jesus is. Every time Jesus cast them out in the gospels, they weren't going, well, who is this? Man, I didn't see that coming. They later would do that in Acts with the seven sons of Sceva. They're like, well, Jesus, we know. I mean, you've heard of this Paul guy, but who in the world are you? They're not doing that with Jesus. They know who he is. 
The animals are singing a song to praise. Amen, Daniel. The demons are singing songs of submission. They know it. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. They know it. All the four living creatures could do as a benediction is, to, is just to fall down again and say, Amen. Amen. Let it be. So may it be. Nick texted, as Paul puts it in Romans 5.10, even the death of Jesus prior to the resurrection accomplished our reconciliation with, with, with the resurrection, as Paul puts it, all the more we shall be saved. We are saved both by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a hymn. What a worship service. This hymn, our opening hymn in our Hymns of Praise series, tells us who is worthy. lamb is worthy and so we respond in praise so to close here we don't mince words concerning jesus we don't mince words we follow him he is lord he is boss this isn't just oh he's my little personal lord and savior i want you to think of the very one who saved you is also cosmically in charge we get a taste of this in the book of Colossians when it talks about he holds all things together. The very one who died in your place that you are a disciple of, he's the biggest of the big. He is Yeshua. He is the slain lamb who in his being slain Conquered. The greatest of all paradoxes comes true in Jesus. And what appears to be weakness actually was victory. So when he calls us to be meek, when he calls us to, to be self-deniers, when he calls us to be peacemakers, when he calls us to not live our lives for ourselves, but to instead live with him and in doing so bear fruit he means it we don't mince words concerning this jesus so why do we need this heavenly perspective right now because we live in a world that says we're crazy we live in a society that doesn't understand why we don't live for ourselves, where everybody is out to get what's theirs where everybody is, is enemies with everybody. We're, we're, we're put into groups and we're expected to be at war with each other. We're divided by race and economy and politics, even faith, even in our Christian churches. Why do we need this heavenly perspective right now? Is because the one who rules in our very heart rules literally over everything. The only one who is worthy to open that scroll considered you worthy. 
to die in your place. You need that perspective, especially as life kicks your butt, especially as you feel stepped on, overlooked, as you go through hardship, as you struggle with your depression, your anxiety, as you wallow in fear, as you have doubt, as you don't know how to continue on, just remember, you are, the, you are a disciple of the only one in all of existence who was worthy. You cannot forget that. You end prayers in his name. You walk and do ministry and love for his glory. You are on his team. Life is, is hard. Life is rough. But we keep our eyes fixed on this same Jesus that is being worshiped in heaven, even as we speak. Jesus alone, that's right, Mick. Great closing word, Mick. We approach the throne of grace in prayer because Jesus did what he did. Amen. This has been Big Rev. Heavenly praise from Revelation chapter 5. Thanks for letting me share. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.